0: Thank you for joining Mind Your Brain. The mission of this podcast is to give encouragement and education to brain injury survivors and caregivers like you. We want to be your safety net. If you want to listen to this podcast again and share it to raise awareness around the world, please see our entire library of podcasts. Visit our website at Foundation. that's one word, mindyourbrainfoundation.org. We have heard many recovery stories over the past 10 years and want to share with you one of those that will bring tears to your eyes, sadness. And in the end, tears of joy triumph over tragedy. My name is Candace Gant. I am a traumatic brain injury survivor and founder of Mind Your Brain at Penn Medicine Conferences. And the executive director of the Mind Your Brain Foundation. I'm also so proud to be on the board of the Brain Injury Association of Pennsylvania. Today, my guest is Tricia Miley. On April 19, 1989, Tricia, then 28 years old at the time, went on a run in Central Park. A woman after my own heart went out for a run. After a 12 hour workday at Wall Street, at the Wall Street Investment Bank, Solomon Brothers. She was viciously attacked in that park, pulled into the bushes, and was left for dead. She had extensive injuries, 80% blood loss and a severe traumatic brain injury. She was beaten so violently, no one could identify who she was. Miraculously, after 12 days in a coma, Trisha woke up. She did not remember anything from the attack. Tricia says that three factors kept her motivation during the long recovery. Hope, support, and inspiration. So thank you, Trisha, for joining us.
1: Thank you, Candice. Um, it's
0: a pleasure. Yeah. Your story just touches my heart. You're an amazing woman.
1: I, um, well, and I could say the same for you. I, I feel your spirit even even over uh, you know Zoom and recorded. So so that's always such a positive sign for me.
0: Thank you, thank you. So so tell us in two thousand and seventeen, uh, you were a powerful speaker, keynote speaker at our Mind Your Brain at Penn Medicine conference, and so I'm thrilled to welcome you back to Mind Your Brain with that with your message of hope. Your attack was so violent. It left you in a coma, but yet somehow you rose above it to become a strong advocate and a voice for other survivors. It's amazing. Yeah.
1: Well, so, well and, and I was going to say people reached out to me in, in such a way that made a difference that I, when I was able, wanted to reach back and let people know that I was okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's important. So Tricia, I know you don't remember the assault and it's Probably best you don't. Uh, so, could you tell us what you do remember when you woke up from your coma, and tell us about your injuries then?
1: Well, sure. maybe first I'll, um, you know, I'll, I'll, you, you've already outlined uh, in a way, that, you know, the, the attack pretty well. But I was an avid runner, and as, as you said, I went uh, for a run in Central Park, and I was attacked, viciously beaten, raped, and left for dead. And from that beating, I suffered a TBI and had, as you said, the extensive physical and cognitive dysfunction and injuries. And after I was finally found and brought to an emergency room, my temperature was 85 degrees, hypothermic. My blood pressure was 70 over zero. There was no hearing or feeling of that second rhythm, that diastolic rhythm. My left eye socket had been crushed in. And the force of the blow was so strong that a doctor later told me that my eyeball exploded right through the thin plates of my orbital floor. And from skull fractures that I had and deep lacerations across my face, I lost almost 80% of my blood, so I nearly bled to death. I was in a state of profound shock and a priest was called in to give me last rites. But miraculously i did survive now miracle it really is it really is and waking up and i'm i'm putting waking up from the coma i suffered was nothing like what we see in the movies and i think that is probably almost 100% of the case for those with with brain injuries now medically i guess i was in a coma for 12 days but you know what? I was delirious for another five and a half weeks and I have no memory of that time. Mm-hmm. And so during that time, I apparently was having some level of conversation you know, with family and friends who were there. And I even said that my favorite activity was stamp collecting. Now I have absolutely no idea where that came from and it <laughs> ma- it just makes me wonder, what is going on in the brain? Yes. <laughs> but let me tell you my first memory, and this hasn't changed, is when I was in the hospital, lying in the bed, and in the room was a former boyfriend. His name was Kent. And you know what? It didn't surprise me. So that to me, when I think about it, you know, mm-hmm. later was it didn't surprise me because I found out he had been there many times helping my family and yes. and What I do remember was I was asking a nurse, I think her name was Joy, a question. I can't remember the question, Mm -hmm. but Ken answered it. And so I later learned from him that I had been asking the same question Mm -hmm. several times and he was trying to give her a break. Um, There was a little bit of that uh, perseveration going on, Mm -hmm. just repeating things, but from my perspective, I was furious. <laughs> he was answering for oh, the next. Yes. And I it made me think, you know, when we were dating, he was he was a big talker and- You questioned
0: your relationship then.
1: Right, and I thought, <laughs> so I said, you know, I, I said to him and I vividly remember this, shut up, Ken, I wanna hear from her. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, that was my gracious kind of reentry mm-hmm. into human society because even though I had I had a conversation or you know or or many conversations on some level before that my um my speaking was not you know the same that it had been and you know when I said to him god damn it <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, i didn't say that i said shut up ken um but maybe that's what i was thinking Yeah, yeah indeed. Uh, you know that the tone of my voice changed uh so
0: mm-hmm. and and Trisha, maybe you could i don't know if any if our listeners know your story and if they don't they should definitely pick up your book but uh can you tell us what it was that they assaulted you with is it a brick i understand what what caused all that damage
1: the force you know what they they as as far as I know, they don't know if it was a brick, you know, a metal pipe, or bad. a rock, and it might have been a combination. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've heard some from the doctor of you know different different uh, or the nature of different uh, injuries on my face and scalp mm-hmm. indicate you know the di- different you know different kinds of things. Goodness. So it was, you know, it was really pretty awful. vicious,
0: vicious. Um, and I know that your your recovery has was just grueling and at times discouraging, as many of our listeners have encountered that. Uh, but please tell our listeners how long you spent in rehabilitation and what type of therapies you had.
1: OK, well, uh, quickly, I, I, I spent actually seven weeks first in an ICU in New York City Hospital in Metropolitan an Acute Care Hospital. And then I spent actually a little over five months in a long-term acute care hospital uh, in Connecticut. And that was for rehabilitation. And that hospital is Gaylord. And during those five months, I spent about two and a half months, about half the time as an inpatient in the hospital proper. And then I was transferred to their transitional living center, which, you know, which was on the premises, uh, as a, and there I was an outpatient, mm-hmm. and it was just like a home, with bedrooms, you know, for the patients, and a large living room and dining room and kitchen that uh, you know we all shared, and we used to regain skills necessary for independent living, like cooking and cleaning and taking care of ourselves without the constant supervision of the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I was um, you know, so glad, my family was so glad that this facility existed because my, my parents lived in Pittsburgh, my brothers were in other cities in, in the country. So this provided a place that would continue to give me the care that I needed as an outpatient. And so throughout this whole time as both an inpatient in Gaylord and then as an outpatient, my therapies were what you would expect, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, every single day and sometimes multiple times, multiple sessions. Mm -hmm. And then I had vocational training, Uh, for returning to work. And I am just so, so grateful to have had access to these therapies for as long as I did, and with the intensity that I did, because it allowed me to learn and grow and move forward inside a new body and a new mind.
0: Indeed, indeed. And can you tell us, did your, did Solomon Brothers help you in this in this effort to recover? Because you're talking about vocational rehabilitation. Did you, you expected to go right back to work then? Um,
1: Well, I don't know if I, well- Maybe in your mind you did. You're right. But Solomon Brothers was so, so supportive from the very beginning when I, you know, when I had no idea, when I was in the hospital in a coma and talking to my family and giving them reassurance, they didn't know either, Mm -hmm. but they said, you know, she's going to have a job. So I remember a couple of months later when I was at gaylord and my father told me that, that reassurance that I had oh. because of that, that, okay, I don't know what I'm going to be able to do when I get back there, but it gave me a sense of hope. So they really were phenomenal. And I like to, when I speak, because I continue to do that to different organizations, but I love to let businesses know the impact that they can have, you know, that, that just by believing in people.
0: The organization lifts you up, not only the support that you had around you, which, is, um, which was a real gift to you. Yeah, yeah. And, Tricia, I wanted to ask you more about your recovery, but I also wanted to touch on, if you don't mind, I know that there was other assaults during uh, this attack. Not only for your cognitive rehabilitation and traumatic brain injury, but there were other injuries that you had to recover from as well, emotionally.
1: Um, yeah, and and you know what that that healing process really with all of the things—the physical injuries, the cognitive in, injuries, the psychological injuries—that recovery goes on to this day, and and part of my attitude about it is that we can, I say we, all of us can continue to learn and grow, you know, yes. forever. And, yeah. and I see that. And sometimes there are many frustrations and, and I try and take a step back and take that deep breath and, and um, and appreciate, where I am and what I have, and and that's uh, also kind of one of one of the lessons I learned. But maybe we'll talk a little bit about that that later too. Indeed,
0: and I think to use uh, a term that you'll under that you know well from running, it's a marathon.
1: Yes, that's right. And it, a- absolutely, and it, there's it doesn't happen, you know, yes. that quickly. But on the other hand at, you know, at the, or when I was getting rehabilitation, I saw changes, small changes, Mm -hmm. but I saw changes. And that made me think, okay, maybe it's just walking a few more feet on the parallel bars, as I was learning how to walk again. Mm -hmm. Um, But that made me realize that, okay, change is happening. And I have to keep working hard at this. And that change is going to continue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would, I think, realize that, you know, it may not be, ex- I may not get to a point of exactly this, exactly where I had been, but you know what? What was more important was what I was doing right now.
0: In the moment, right. In the moment where step, I was. Baby steps, two steps forward, yeah. one back. It's okay, I got this. Yep. Yep. That's terrific. So we know about Solomon brothers and your support and your family, what other types of support do you, did you recognize in your recovery that was so helpful?
1: I tell you, and I'll I'll give you a few examples. The level of support was extraordinary and it really fueled my sense of determination Mm -hmm. to keep working and pushing forward. And I'm so grateful um, because this was crucial to my recovery and uh, as I just said, it inspired me to keep pushing forward. So, let me give you a couple of examples. When I was in the hospital after the attack, my family and close friends were with me through the entire ordeal. But people all over the world sent me cards and letters and even gifts. I mean, You know, children sent poems to me and people sent healing oil and holy water. And there was a makeshift memorial set up in central park where people left handwritten messages and flowers. I even got 18 roses from Frank Sinatra. Now at the time, I didn't remember that was when I was in the hospital in New York city. Mm -hmm. At At the time I, um, I don't remember getting them, but I remember being told about them (laughs) and I know that my mother was overjoyed. (laughs) Um, But let me tell you, I was hearing something, something from those letters and cards, something important from them that I shouldn't be ashamed. And the effect on me was powerful. People didn't ostracize me because I'd been raped. Rather, they opened their hearts to me. And it was so important for me to hear these kinds of messages, and especially early on. An incredible example of this is something I didn't even know about until years after the attack, Mm -hmm. when I received an email just completely out of the blue. And it's so powerful. I'm just going to read it. Oh,
0: please, please do. It
1: says, I was the charge nurse of the emergency room at Metropolitan Hospital the night of your attack. I was one of the first to hold your hand and to tell you that you were safe and going to live. I remember every detail of that night as if it was yesterday. I held your hand until you left the emergency room for the ICU. I had only a small part in your care and trials, yet I read your book as a proud father of one of his children who had gotten better after a long illness. I am honored to have known you to have taken care of you and to have fought for you. Thank you for enriching my life. And I tell you, I feel his words in my soul Mm. whenever I read that. And I don't consciously remember him, his comforting words, his holding my hand. But I know, I just know that on some level, his support had a powerful effect on my unconscious body clinging to that thin thread of life that remained. That's, that's a,
0: what a beautiful story and a beautiful letter. That, that is- and,
1: and let me, I'm just gonna tell you one, one other one and it was that um, it, it came months after the attack, a man ran the New York City Marathon in New York City in, in my honor in November of 1989. And he hadn't run the race for several years because of an injury, Mm -hmm. but he decided to do it for me. And of course, I found this out later, but the day after the marathon and the New York City marathon is always run on the first Sunday in November. So on that Monday, he federal expressed the medal he, he received crossing the finish line up to me at Gaylord Hospital. Oh. And that he would give away his medal and all that it represented meant the world to me. And I just keep that medal so close to my heart.
0: Oh. And it, and it must made you work harder, knowing you just had the support and cheerleading behind you that they they expected you to, they wanted you, they were willing you to recover.
1: Oh, absolutely, Candace. All of these messages of support, while I was both conscious and unconscious, were confirmation that I wasn't alone, mm-hmm. that I had done nothing wrong, and that I wasn't to blame. These messages gave me hope. And what I've seen in my own recovery and in others is that with hope possibility emerges, no matter how dire the circumstances.
0: And you you may not have, uh, have a whole city rallying for you, but I know that there's listeners that they have a small army at home in their own neighborhoods in their own, uh, uh, that will lift them up and give them the opportunity and, and to hold their hand and to rely on that, that
1: support. Absolutely, and I realize how fortunate I was because, in some ways, I had the whole world, you know, by my side. But exactly what you're saying, people have their own armies, and how valuable, how valuable that is. So I always encourage people, you know, give that support however you, you know, however you feel is you know, in whatever way what you think is right, and don't worry about oh should I do this or that do whatever you feel is right.
0: Yeah. yeah. Reach yep. out to people, be generous yeah. with your words and your love and support. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a good message for caregivers. Don't weary in well-doing that it counts. It really does.
1: Yep. It really does.
0: So I think I know a little bit, but tell me what was the turning point when you knew your life would be at normal or, or
1: um, well, I tell you what candice it's it was when. Um, so this, the secret is Candace had, had given me a few of the questions so I could put my thoughts together um, beforehand. Um, and this was it was a it was a tough question. It's a hard one because p- part of this from all that support. I I honestly don't remember really feeling hopeless ever and thinking, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? I didn't know what the future was gonna hold, but I had, as we said, these thousands of people behind me caring about me, sending love and wanting me to heal. Mm-hmm. And as I had mentioned, I kept seeing small improvements, you know, and, and that really did lift me. But I w- I'll say, and I also knew that I had a tremendous amount of work to do Uh, So that was important, but a really pivotal moment was when I went running again for the first time after the attack, when I was at Gaylord, it was incredibly impactful and I was taking something back that had been taken away. So let me tell you quickly about it. The head of the physical therapy department um, at at Gaylord, his name was Nelson Carvalho. I'll remember him so well. He kind of casually asked me uh, if I might be interested in joining a group of people that met on Saturday mornings to run. And and I remember thinking to myself, are you crazy? I can barely walk. This was just a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. after I wasn't using a wheelchair anymore to get around. And I thought, can I do this? Do I want to do it? But you know what? I trusted Nelson. And I thought, if he's there, then maybe I'll do it. So I joined them on one, it was a hot, humid day in August of 1989. And there were four or five others of us. There was a man on crutches and a couple people uh, were in wheelchairs. And there was a young a young person who had spina bifida. And I remember thinking, you know what, if they can do this with their challenges, then Mm -hmm. so can I. And um, it turns out there, there is an organization called the Achilles track club that had a chapter at Gaylord that encourages people with all kinds of challenges to use running Mm -hmm. as a way to kind of get some skills back. So, you know, I, I, uh, I thought, all right, I'll, I'll do this. this. I'm up for it. And, and, um, and so Nelson was right by my side and honestly, I was. Barely walking, but it just felt so good. I, I felt proud of what I could do. And as I said, I was taking something back that had been taken away. So my goal, had been to finish that loop. And even though it wasn't a pretty sight, you know, I did it and it gave me a sense that I'd be okay. But
0: I love, that's a great story. Anyway. Oh, and of course we, we both have a love of running. And so that speaks to my heart as well, because that's that's the first, like you, that's the first experience I had with that pure joy of doing something that was so familiar to me and brought me so much, um, confidence in, in, that I was, I was progressing. I was making progress. Look, right. and I'm, look at me. I'm running That's 50 right. yards. Look at me go. And, yeah.
1: um, and, uh, the great thing about it, uh, is that, you know, when you are, running, or I'll say exercising, but when you're exercising, your blood flow Mm -hmm. is, you know, I'm going to say that that much stronger through your brain too. you're getting oxygen in your brain. And that is important. That's, you know, that's a medical aspect that is so important for those with brain injuries, get that oxygen in the brain, you know, to help with, with the improvement and with your cognitive function. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, I, I continue, you know, to run today. And I I do keep getting slower and slower, but you know what, I'm gonna do it. Uh, Or I'm, or I'm gonna walk, I do a lot of walking too, just to keep that blood flow going through my brain.
0: Oh, and to be outside, even if you do a little shuffle, just to get some
1: sunshine. The, those, uh, those folks in, in rehab are artists because yeah. they know how much to push you and not to push you too much because that risks discouraging you. So, you know, you, you see the small changes and that builds your confidence to keep pushing.
0: So true. So, Tricia, tell us what lessons did you learn that you could share with everyone?
1: Wow. Okay. Um,
0: Another big question.
1: Yes, it is a big question. And so I, I often think about three lessons that I learned. And one is the importance of support, which, which basically I, um, you know, just shared with you and how crucial uh, that support is in all, you know, all different kinds of ways. And that message, those messages of support bolstered my rehab. And Second lesson is to be proud of what you can do rather than focus on what you can't. And I just before alluded to that of, you know maybe some of the different exercises or, you know cognitive exercises, physical exercises, it's like, oh shoot, you know, this is harder than I thought. But by focusing on what you can do, you build confidence. And as I said, that allowed me to keep pushing. And feeling proud of what I could do was a powerful motivator. And what, you know, that's what happened with the running example too. So, you know, I kind of walked maybe a little bit of running for that first quarter mile loop. Um, And then, then, you know, the next time I was out, maybe I, I did it again and I didn't have to walk quite as much, I, I, I could run a few more steps. I say run, jog, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and you know, to this day, improvements do continue, uh, except with the running. Now I'm getting a little slower because you know, oh darn it, that age thing is, yes, it's creeping is, is happening, but you know what, there's still, there's still a lot of improvement. Mm-hmm. And um, the third lesson, to me is the power of the present moment, that paying attention matters and that all we can affect is the present. And by working in the present moment, we can ask ourselves, what can I do right now Mm -hmm. to make this situation better? And just by asking that question, we regain control, we take responsibility. And I think this can change a feeling of helplessness into hope really. And let me give you an example of this. Uh, so one of the things that had happened to me was that I lost c- control of the use of my hands. And an exercise that I did at Gaylord was something called put the nail in the hole. And I was given a block of wood um, and it had, it had ho- you know, holes drilled into it. And some of the holes were filled with nails and others were empty and my task with my occupational therapist standing right by my side was to was to take a pair of tweezers oh my and transfer as many nails as i could to the holes filled with nails take the tw- uh, take the nail and put it in the empty uh, in the empty hole and as i said i did that exercise over and over again and i worked on it with such intensity that my mom once commented when she was watching um, that she couldn't believe that I did it with such concentration and patience. She told me that it would have driven her absolutely crazy. But let me tell you at that moment, that's what I focused on, what I could affect the task that was right in front of me. I wasn't getting caught up in what had happened, a past I couldn't change resentment about the attack didn't grab hold of me and block my healing so I didn't wallow in what ifs or if onlys and honestly amazingly I wasn't preoccupied with a fear about the future I looked at the reality that was mine and that was not good Mm -hmm. but I worked as hard as I could to make that reality as good as it could be If I wanted to regain the use of my hands, wallowing in the past or worrying about the future was not going to work. Focusing in the present, working in the present was was the best place to put my energy to make change happen. Mm -hmm. And I tell you what, Candace, I still remember the day showing the results all of those exercises. My vanity returned and I wanted to put mascara on. And you know what? I was able to do it without getting the mascara all over my eyelids. So that was a real sense of accomplishment.
0: That was your goal. Yes, that's goal right. And I think, and we often talk about focusing on our abilities. What, right. what can we? I think that's
1: exactly what, can we, what. Do? what, what can we do. What can we do? And so kind of in, sem- in summary of those lessons of support and be proud of what you can do and focus on the predis- mo- present moment, mm-hmm. when those feelings of uncertainty or, or feeling overwhelmed because of the brain injury arise, I know that I need to take that deep breath, mm-hmm. realize the support that's around me feel proud of what I can do and focus on the present moment. Mm
0: -hmm. That's beautiful. You're a wise woman. Amazing and wise.
1: (laughs) Well, the thing is, it's when I'm in the middle of those moments, so it's hard.
0: Yes, (laughs) yes. Just so retroflective, you are, you absorbed those lessons. And I'm thrilled that you can share them with all of us. So Tricia, tell us what you're doing now. Well, years later.
1: Yeah, I, I tell you, I, I, I'm involved in several things. One is I, I continue to speak to all different kinds of organizations around the country and sometimes internationally, letting letting people know that when we face challenges, because we do, we can do so much more than we ever thought possible. And um, I, in, in part with the speaking, I'll, I'll just, um, say this that all started as a result of 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 writing the book and the book coming out which was way back it's a long time ago hard to believe in 2003 but it the name of the book is i'm the central park jogger a story of hope and possibility Mm -hmm. and and um i've been told by many people who continue to read it that it does give them a sense of hope because i talk about you know my injury and and the recovery process and and everything that i went through and what you know what it's been like to live with a brain injury and um, real life so stories
0: it, it, that people need yeah. to hear
1: right because it, it gives all, you know all of us all of us hope which is which is why i'm i'm going to say these podcasts are so so valuable for everyone to be listening to, so thank you. I'm bowing to you. I mean, you, you can't see <laughs> it. You.
0: And, um, I appreciate but, you. Put your hand out and lift everybody up with you.
1: Well, well, thank you for what you do, because that's absolutely what it does. Um, but I also work with the organization Achilles International mm. now, and I was the founding chair, and that organization transforms lives of people, you know. have all different kinds of challenges not only brain injuries and and it it, these transformations happen through athletic programs and social interaction and i'm just going to tell you briefly uh, that there is actually a chapter in philadelphia and Mm -hmm. they meet every saturday morning at the signa building on walnut street and um uh and there's, there's a website called phillyachilles.com. And that's dot scom And that's where you can find out more about it. And I tell you what I've seen in myself and in others, the confidence gained in reaching a physical goal can be transferred to accomplishments in other aspects of rehabilitation and in life. And be that at home, at work, in school, or in relationships. And it's fun getting together with other people. And I know I you know, I loved exercise before, but I tell you, it is just fun being with everybody. And I've been involved in research that shows that exercise is a powerful motivator, a self-esteem booster for people with brain injury. Um,
0: as an that- athlete as well, I believe that wholeheartedly. Yep.
1: Absolutely. And I also work with a number of organizations that support survivors of sexual assault. So that's that's kind of what I'm doing now.
0: All good work, all necessary, all needed. And I think our audience can tell just from this 30 minute, 45 minute conversation, what a powerful advocate you are for this community. And we're so thankful uh, that you have chosen to take this path and do and and make a difference in other people's lives that have suffered and maybe some not not as severe or significant, but well certainly not as severe but significant, even with concussions that have huge mountains to climb, that we can lift them up and help them with a positive message.
1: But I tell you, Candace, I, I honestly don't think there's a hierarchy of suffering. Mm-hmm. Because when you're in the middle of it, it is bad, it's and I always when people say, "Oh, well, what happened to me is nothing like what happened to you." No, don't no, mm-hmm. no. know. Anyway, so bad. That's, that's just a, a strong feeling I have that mm-hmm. that one is not easier or harder than another. It's um, when Stop you're bringing. in the middle of it, you've got to you've got to fight and work hard, and uh, and just remember, feel, feel, feel people that are hopefully around you, lifting you up, or, or hear these messages that you can do so much more than you think, yeah. it. you will you. do so much more than you think. Yeah. We know it.
0: Patricia, so, thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking time to retell the, this horrific story. I, I'm so sorry you had to endure all that pain, but I must tell you, you're a beacon of light for other brain injury survivors.
1: Well, thank you. You know what? We're all we're all vegans of light, and and we're going to light the way for each other. Thank you, indeed,
0: and thank you to our listeners. Uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Mind Your Brain. We really enjoyed talking with Tricia Miley from tragedy to triumph, and her book "I Am Central Park: The Central Park Jogger." Please subscribe to our podcast. You can be a partner with us and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and please leave us a comment. And speaking of comments, if you would like to send us any recommendations for future podcasts, email me at info, I-N-F-O, short for information, at one word, mindyourbrainfoundation.org. Let me hear from you. And thank you for joining us. Here's my virtual hug, you are not invisible to us.